the more you know about yourself, the more you like about yourself, the more you love about yourself, the more you will love your life, the more you will feel good about who you are. You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, Sarah Box. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. And now without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Hey there, No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners. Welcome back. I am Sarah Box, your host of the No Labels, No Limits podcast, where you know we're on this mission to help individuals, teams, and organizations think outside the box and move towards what they want and beyond limiting labels and beliefs, all so that each of us can have a profound impact in our own lives and then hopefully ripple out into the lives of others in a positive way. And we do it through this podcast by learning and staying curious about others and sharing accomplished and inspiring guests who have done the same in their own lives and pursued an accomplished personal and or or both professional goals. So today, I'm really excited to introduce to you a new guest, Ryan Lassen. She is the Advanced Accelerator Coach, and she has nearly a decade of experience where she's empowered over a thousand high-achieving women, particularly focusing on the unique challenges faced by high-achieving women. Um, So I'm going to pause and just let you think about what are those challenges, because I bet you can relate to them. Now, take it down a notch or niche down a notch, not down, but just niche, get a little tighter. She even dives in to really think about the unique challenges faced by high-achieving Black women, which is another set within that. So whatever you can think of, whatever your race or ethnicity is, she's got a, a, a label and an understanding and a niche down on Black women. So I'm excited about that because I don't. If you look at us, we're different. She's a master at helping her clients overcome imposter syndrome, yay, perfectionism, and distraction to unlock their full potential. And if you've ever followed the success blueprint but felt it lacked clarity um, or it just stuck for you, Ryan, Ryan has transformational tools, so from the theoretical to the practical. Um, So just join us, and she's going to talk about her evidence-based coaching process, explore the mindset shifts that led to her professional development and achievement, and I've got some other questions for you that we're going to talk about on the back end. So with that, let's formally welcome Ryan Lassane to the No Labels, No Limits podcast. Good morning. Thank you. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you, Sarah, and thank you to your listening audience. Thank you, listener. I am excited to dive in with you. Thank you so much. Well, I want to ask you, and I've kind of asked you this before we hit record, but I'm always curious about people's morning routines or how they start their day. So what did you wake up thinking about or acknowledging today? Yeah, and I I really uh, appreciate that question. It, It had caused me to pause for a moment, as you saw. So this morning, um, I remember having the themed thinking that, you know, I I have the capability, I have what I need, I have the stability. It was like um, the the inner conversation, the inner dialogue was affirming that because I was experiencing evidence of that, like all around me, you know, it was like, Oh, 
you are enough. Like you are stable. You did make those plans. It is moving smoothly. Look at that happening. Um, which feels very nice, of course, in general. And it feels very nice as we're going to dive deep into today. I am more than sure, Sarah, with your brilliant, inquisitive curiosity, um, is it feels nice as a person who doesn't necessarily have a history of that feeling. Um, the history of the feeling and the reason why I am a competent coach and and it's my purpose is because these are mindsets that I uh, not only have had to overcome, but without very conscious practice are the shadows that sneak into my world, into my oh. universe. And so it feels nice to, I don't want to say be on the other side of fear. It is nice to be at a stage of life where my tools are embodied within me. The conversation is elevated and healthy to the point where there is greater like time periods of peace and confidence. And that feels good. And that was evident today. That is so Thank beautiful. you for affirming that for me because I wasn't sure if I was really conscious of that. So yes, that feels really good to say that, that out loud. So beautiful. It's so easy that inner dialogue can really throw us off. And, you know, you talk about and you are expert in helping people handle imposter syndrome, right? And a lot of that is dialogue. I would really say that I'm like a dialogue, inner dialogue coach. Like fundamentally, that's really at the essence of what I help people do is to shift because the dialogue comes from your beliefs. And so I help people really shift the beliefs that cause that dialogue. And that dialogue absolutely matters because that dialogue is the script that is running my life, that's running your life, that's running the listener's life. That dialogue is the programming that we're operating under, whether we like it, we don't like it, whether we're conscious of it, unconscious of it, we would take a survey and even agree or disagree with it. It doesn't matter. It is running your life. And until I, until you, till we become aware and then become responsible and then learn to become responsive to that dialogue, it one, runs the show. And two, for most human beings, it's latent with trauma, quite frankly. So it's like a re-traumatization of self and then also a perpetuation of a negative feedback loop that we can't seem to get out of. And so, yet we can with the shift of beliefs, which cause a shift of inner dialogue. Yeah. I'll tell you right now, I am so full of gratitude for you. And I don't, normally I interview people. I'm really kind of, I'm into it, right? I love talking to people and learning, but there's something about what you're sharing today that is, it's just, there's a depth to it, right? So I'm, I'm saying this for myself to pay attention, but I'm also saying it for listeners. Do not just listen to the words that are being said here. There's a deeper heart center to this that will elevate us all. Um, as we continue. Yeah, I'm feeling very emotional about what you're sharing. That feels good. I'm not an I'm a I'm a five on the Enneagram, so like I can compartmentalize like nobody knows. Right. Right. Like nobody's business. Yes, got it. And usually I do for podcasts. But mm -hmm. I do want to say, um, how did you get from like 
give us a picture of your journey. Like, how'd you get from A to where you are today with whatever letter you would put that in, right? Right, right. So I could answer it in like a couple different ways. I think in the various ways of answering, we give little snippets. Um, and then I'm going to get real direct with like where the business came from and where coaching and mindset specifically like intersected. But I could say, for instance, that it started in my family. My father, um, without going too deep in the portal, but for certain, my father is a, is a uh, inquisitor of the mind, mindset, Stephen Covey, like all of this was something he like really wanted to understand for his own, I think, personal quest of transformation. And my mom was, is very, um, very wonderful at developing people and at seeing the vision for someone and helping them get there. So the business is that in essence, it's like mindset, it's, you know, goal orientation, it's understanding yourself along with really helping people see who and what they are and their bigger vision for themselves and the intersection of that. I could also say it's from my schooling and that I went to all girls school. So I'm really focused. I, I loved your interest there. I've never heard it quite so understood from the heart, quite frankly, that it is women, women specifically, because each culture um, and men and women have a have a distinct culture amongst themselves. Each culture has their own nuances. And the nuances that I know and study and am immersed in are women. And because I am in the body of a black woman, it is from the perspective of a black woman. And the way that you cascaded that was so lovely um, and so true. So I could say that. And then I went to Spelman College, which is a historically black women's college. So it could, it could be that, you know, that I could start there. That's part of that is that is true to my work. But where it really intersected is this point in my life where I had I was in a passion project that I called Inspire Sunday Brunch, which has a whole evolution to it, how I came to that. But what it was, was a platform where I was talking to my network of women about personal branding, but I was not about goal setting, about vision boarding, about all kinds of different topics. And I was the speaker. Um, and it was like a fun platform and I charged like for it, um, for basically, you know, zero percent, like what it, what it cost to run this thing. And it was, I worked at a nonprofit. It was like, it just, I was doing it as like something fun and experiential. Then I decided that I was going to leave my career. And this is, I think, important because I left feeling undervalued, overworked, squeezed out of the like, you know, feeling squeezed within myself. But what I now know is, and I think this is important for the listener, is that that's, that's truly means I and you, if you're feeling that way, have outgrown where you are. I know that now. Um, it felt you very feel that way in the moment. Oh, it felt heart wrenching and very sad, you know, very oh, and soul um, like soul sucking. It's exactly what it felt like. And at that time, um, you know, and when, when you have those moments, often there's things that open for you too. So what opened was start your own business, do your own thing. And, and I did, I made the, the big leap into entrepreneurship and I wasn't certain what exactly I was, I was certain that I was going to be helping, um, individuals 
with, I thought, personal branding, with like communications. I had a background in that. But what formulated coaching and mindset was I got an opportunity from my alma mater, Georgetown, to take a career development workshop with a coach. I had never done this before. This was about 2014. I'd never met a coach before, and it was a woman. It was five or six women. And the question that she asked that was pivotal was, do you speak to yourself as if you were your own best friend? And the answer was a clear no for me. I had the feeling that Brene Brown talks about, Dr. Brene Brown, that feeling that washes over you. It was shame. It was very clear, like, oh, my gosh, I suffer from whatever this is, and I have to help people figure this out. That was my intersection with Coach, and I, and I took her class, and she became my mentor, and I felt kind of fell divinely into coaching. So it was like this intersection of these two things, this business I had that was around coaching and the understanding, oh, coaching, this is what I'm going to do. I went back to school to coach, and now I'm a coach who's certified, and I have this business that's actually LLC, and now I am at a point where people talk about, like, ripping the Band-Aid off. It was like the cast came off of broken bones I didn't even know were broken, of imposter syndrome, perfectionism, and this term that I coined called distractionism that we'll definitely get into, that suddenly I was like riddled with as this business owner who didn't know how to run a business who was quite frankly very good at coaching. So it was very like chaotic. That's something to definitely talk about. Um, And yet I really learned to work my own process And that eight-step process has gotten me to exactly where I am this morning, where I I understand my life is actually working for me. My business is actually working for me. I am working for me. I value me. Like those imposter syndrome, imposter perfectionism, distractionism, mindsets I bump up against. And at this point, the inner work works, and it works so much that I – can process through those things in every day. They're not such stumbling blocks. Well, they're more like you rec- you're like, hey there, old friend distractionism. I see you. Let's move on. Yeah. Let's get that feels good on this side. Yeah. So let's get into detail. And I'm very interested in how um, you help clients and the people you work with kind of grapple with those three things. Can you define each of them in the way that you use them? And then let's talk about how you help people grapple with them. Absolutely. So the first is imposter syndrome, which is this idea that and kind of an internal dialogue that no matter what my resume says, no matter my life experience, no matter how well educated I am, experienced I am, I'm go- I have a constant nagging feeling that I'm going to be caught or labeled as a fraud. I'm going to be seen not knowing. Someone's going to call me out as not really belonging here. And so there's a an angst there about, around that. That is a twin sister to perfectionism. It slides into perfectionism because then the self says, well, if I'm perfect, right? Not if my pencils are lined up, not perfect like that. Not my nails are always done. But it is if if I am perfect, if my if I know all the answers, if I can be if I can be seen as like the go to for everything and everything is 100 percent correct. I'll be protected and I won't be seen again as this slipping back into fraud. So they like ping pong within each other. And then there's this third piece, 
that I've coined as distractionism, which I'm going to be very clear, is quite frankly, undiagnosed, unmanaged ADHD neurodivergence. And I've called it distractionism before 2022 when I knew and understood and was diagnosed with ADHD myself. So for five years, I had been calling it that because that was as it was presenting in my life and presenting in my client's life. And this mindset, this kind of, so going back to this idea of like perfectionism, sliding into um, distractionism. So going back to something as feeling trite as like having my nails painted. Um, Well, there's this idea that if I show up perfectly, nails painted, hair coiffed, like then I'm buffered from what's on the inside, that I'm not enough. But I can't ever get my nails painted. I can't ever get to that level of detail because I'm always distracted. I'm always in a million places. And I look at my nails and it's a symbol to me that I can never quite get that far. I can never get that deep. So, because uh, I'm always distracted. Now, now sliding into distractionism and how the three kind of interplay to each other. So distractionism, is, this idea of distractionism is like, I have so many things that I'm focused on I go down so many portals. I don't really trust myself. I'm very sensitive. I um, question because I lose things. I question, am I smart? I question, maybe I'm just lazy. I can't quite wrap my arms around my goals. I can't quite figure out time, but I've got all this PhD behind my name or doctor or, you know, um, attorney, whatever it happens to be, baker coach. Uh, teacher, and now I'm sliding back into imposter syndrome. But if I were only perfect, but I get so distracted, and so it just oh, that, it's a negative loop. loop. And so I help people to do a couple of different things. One, to become aware of that loop and become aware of what's happening from self-awareness number two it is to and this is actually going through my eight steps so number one is to unlock their brilliance so much of what's happening is that this person is is in this web around something that they want i want to start a business i want to grow in my nonprofit. i want to um expand in my career but i'm trapped in this these three things that are keeping me in this web, distractions, imposters, and perfectionists, and I can't move forward. I'm, I'm feeling stuck. And so the, what it's also keeping the person from doing is being their authentic self, what, which I call their brilliance. It's being their quirky self that does forget things perhaps, or like has a, you know, quirk around something. And is the generator of like the ideas is the person who you know gets the understanding and so but that person's blocked and suffocated because of this web so the first thing to do is to really get clear on unlocking a person's brilliance and that becomes getting clear on what you want which can be a difficult thing to get clear on because it triggers your fear which we also have to get clear on just those two pieces and the step number two is reframing self-limiting belief so that you have step number three, the ability to actually prioritize what's the most important thing now. And what I understand from cognitive behavior therapy, it's really about being able to laser in on what's the most important thing at this moment, prioritizing that and understanding there's a hundred other things and it's okay but I'm lasering in and that that importance is driving my behavior. 
and owning that. And and we, when we can get to that, we can say, um, this thing for my business or this thing for my nonprofit is the most important thing for today, and I have to do it. And I'm going to override what the imposter or the perfectionist or the distraction is saying because I'm so laser focused. And getting to that um, is where I help people get to. So those are three of the eight steps that I help people really Powerful. figure out. Yeah. I'm curious because I'm thinking about what would be the entry point. I can relate to all three of those. I do. And that whole thing, especially when you talk about laser focus, that's something I've been really diligent about. Um, I would say the last year and a half extra. I mean, like I've always been strategic and figured I have this plan and stuff, but it's, I can identify with everything you've said. And, but for me, when I'm in that laser focus, man, I, I feel like I'm going, okay. But what if that person needs something right now? Like one of my team members, right? And I'm thinking, what if I didn't answer? They'll figure it out. Or it can wait, right? Because I promised I would get this done. And they also need whatever that this is or the client needs this. And yesterday I had like this, I mean, I'm doing this in my head while I'm going, head mm-hmm. down, stay focused. You said this was your priority. It's your priority. Why would you doubt your priority? You were very thoughtful when you set your priority, right? It's not like I'm bouncing around without a uh, brain, right? So, but at the end of the day, and I shared this with my colleague this morning when we hopped on a call to coordinate something, I said, what a great day yesterday. Like we connected for like five seconds a piece when we needed something. Man, it was just in a flow. We weren't interrupting. There was no doubt. People were solid. But you know, that's not always the case. So if I were to listen to this triad, right? Mm-hmm. Imposter, perfectionism, distractionism, I can see how they bleed into each other. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the typical entry point when people go, I've had enough, I need you? Yes. So, oh, gosh. So I one love the context that you gave for yesterday. Um, I like want to dive into that, but I'm going to answer your question. I'm like, oh, that's so juicy. Well, one of the things I, no, I'm going to, let me answer the question first. Where Where do people enter? So. I think people enter when they feel like, hey there, everybody. I want to take just a minute out of this episode of the No Labels, No Limits podcast to tell you that we are officially opening the Sandbox membership in September. So if you're not already on our mailing list, please click the link below to either sign up for the membership or get on the waiting list for the membership. And if you click the link, you'll find more information about what's included, what our plans are, and better yet, you'll be on early enough to help decide what is most important to you to experience in the first three to six months of the membership. So don't wait. Click the link below and join us in the sandbox where fun happens. We get to do a little R&R, little learning, support one another and really grow and expand in ourselves, in our lives, and impact the world in a profound way. So come on over, join us. Mm. Okay, so I'll tell you where I felt, and then I think it kind of connotes where other people feel. It's like, you know that there's something so badly that you're meant to do or to have or to experience, and you recognize that you've really exhausted everything that you know how to do. 
and that there's got to be something else out there. So there's almost like an openness. And then almost like you run into the thing, you run into the book, you run into the coach, you run into the experience. But there is this sense of like almost a surrender to there's there's got to be another way there. I've just exhausted everything. And yet I'm not giving up on this thing. Like there's got to be more support. And then I find that people run into the support. And that's how it happened for me, too. Um, But there is that point of like. I just believe in this. There's there's more and it's it's affecting their self-esteem They're and they're noticing it. It's affecting their sense of self and they're noticing it. And, and it's like they're on a quest is generally where people find me mm-hmm. or they run into something journey. that I've said. They're oh, exactly, exactly. Or they run into something that I've said that that sparked that hero's journey awareness of like, oh, gosh. I've run into just like I ran into, do you speak to yourself as if you're your own best friend? I like ran into a wall and then it leads to that hero's journey of like, how do I overcome that experience? Mm -hmm. But speaking to yourself like you're your own best friend is so powerful. Um, And one of the tools I've used to help me, like when I feel like I'm really pushing myself, like I'm going, you would never do this to a coworker. You would never go, rah, 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 work harder, do more, right? So I've taken the, my foot off the gas on some things. It freaks me out a little because it's that drive to make sure everything's good. But I realized when I can look and see a picture of myself when I'm between five, three, and that young age, I'm going, you would never say or make that child do that. Stop it. Be nice to yourself. And um, it ever, and or when I'm in an argument, like with, if I feel like this tension between my husband and I, and I'm thinking, wait a minute. Look at that little boy's face. Right, I have a picture of him when he's in like first grade or kindergarten. I'm thinking, that kid's full of mischief. He's not here to cause trouble. You're just not communicating, right? But that thing about how would you talk to a child that you loved, your own or your own best friend, whatever. So I mean, that question you were asked it is so it's so valuable. And people, I hope you don't um, think of it as being a throwaway question because almost it's the door that you walk through. Yes, Sarah, I just had a wave of so many emotions as a mom <laughs> of a of a five-year-old. That is very, um, that's a very tender question because I am also in the midst of, and, and I want to say just to, um, in terms of the, the practice, the type of practice that I do, what, what you're speaking to is really inner child work, quite frankly. Um, and it is the ability to recognize and what you have demonstrated so beautifully is seeing the humanity and the inner child in someone else, which really means that you also see the inner child within yourself um, to be able to recognize that in someone else, which is so wonderful in terms of how you relate to yourself. I just want to give you kudos on that in terms well, of thanks. just a wellness check. Um, yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> Um, and, and to be able to see that level of, of depth within a person is truly profound because it will shift how you respond to them. Um, and it's important because, you know, just holding on to that because the listener may be a parent as well, is that our little people, and my daughter is five, and sometimes throughout little micro moments she doesn't seem five you know she seems oh like God, 25 no. right and wonder, so like, where are you from 
what has happened? And what just happened like 10 seconds ago where you were five? And now we're like in this weird chaos period. And it is to remember and to see her as five and to remember that she's seeing the world for the first time and to really find that within myself because, and that is something that I'm, I'm very much actively learning and working on myself. It's like reparenting myself as I'm parenting my child of how would I have wanted to be handled. Um, and I also point that out because because it really is the inner child that we are healing through all of these different, different, whether you talk about very scientifically or you talk about it very spiritually, it is the inner person that we are healing. Um, so much of what we are healing is how we were parented. And so how we relate to ourselves as adults really does matter because, again, it goes back to our operating system. It is how we operate in the world. And so we have the opportunity to just continue along with this, this theme, reparent ourselves in so many ways. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you to niche down a little here because everything we've yes. talked about um, applies generally across the board. You know, I don't know. I don't, mm -hmm. I rarely hear men say they have imposter syndrome. Agreed. Agreed. So let's take that. So does the social science says, uh, they more women than men for sure. Um, yes, there's they, but not statistically. I'm not the statistician, but we do statistically experience yeah. it more often. But I do see some that try to con who are afraid, right? And so yeah. they try to be perfect to have the same effect as a following imposter, right? But own culture. at any rate, but I want to niche down and come more stay with women. But let's talk about mm -hmm. black women because. Yeah. Let's talk about how that experience is has its own nuances. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think it has, so it's one, a, a very big, uh, big, big question that I don't want to make it sound like it's monolithic, like every black woman has the same experience. I just want to set that as the framework and context. Um, however, there are culturally things that as black women we have experienced that I think if we were to take a survey, we would agree like, wow, collectively, we would answer it the same way, which might be distinctly different than how someone else would answer the same survey. And so, and I, I say it like that black and white because at no the end of the intended. day, right, exactly, no pun intended, <laughs> but also because, because at the end of the day, it's really a human experience yeah. around collective stories. So, Absolutely. you know what I mean? And so, Absolutely. yeah, it's like our collective story. So like collectively, we could say our experience has been, and I specifically work with high achieving black women. And what does that mean? That means women who are, you know, really looking to um, move up and whatever up is for them. And they are looking for the support to do that. So it could be within their business, start a business. It could be within their nonprofit. They're looking to like expand it. They want to become better fundraisers, whatever it is they're like looking to do generally with a professional dream and they're feeling stuck. And so um, within that, sorry, I got a little looped, but uh, around answering the question, but um, I did. Uh, can we pause for just a moment? 
Is that possible? We can pause, but I don't think okay. you got loose. I'm following. I'm sorry. It makes perfect Are you? Because, okay, I, I actually like how you second. answer questions. It's how my brain works. So okay, that's... okay. <laughs> Carry on. I'm like, I just looped myself. Okay. So um, but going going back to the, the broader question around black women, and I niched down in that way because, sorry, I really did get looped here, but I'm going to bring it back to the idea that collectively we can answer things like working twice as hard and expecting half or we have to manage our anger. Oh, I know where I was going. It's coming back to me. High achieving women, however they want to answer that, whatever that looks like for them, high achieving women. And yes, okay, that, that puts a plug in that. But the point is, is that there is this desire to move ahead and they're feeling stuck by these three thoughts and these three triads. And the triads take on like a uniqueness of their own in that, The uniqueness of their own and that we have a collective story. Essentially, that's it. We have a collective story, and I'm, I'm getting a little bit loopy with it. And I can feel that because one of the things that I, I want to move away from as a black woman, quite frankly, is that it's like an us thing. You know what I mean? And so when it's I answer not, the it's question, just differently experienced. it's not. It's just differently experienced. And so as I like... Sometimes as I get into the microism of it, I feel like I'm talking myself out of it and then in of it. And it's like, what it is is a human experience <laughs> that, you know. I just love you. This is how my brain yeah, it's I'm like, I'm crazy. Yeah, it's like, you know, it, it's like this is a human experience that we collectively could say when we're in a group of people who, you know, don't look like us, it, it feels like. Oftentimes we've internalized these stories about people don't want us here because it's oftentimes a lived experience or it could be or you're not certain if it is or what's happening. But it does feel like a frenetic experience when, quite frankly, oftentimes the vast majority of the people do want some whomever it is there. And that's why the person is in the seat, you know, and so it's like helping a category of people who are black women to disinternalize these stories at the end of the day to let go of the internalization that I'm not enough because of a particular reason or because of a lived experience or because of a trauma that was experienced at a particular time that we're still living. And so much of it is intergenerational and learned behavior. And so. Well, and then there's a lot like if you break a generational belief, you know, and it's not easy to do that. But if you do that, there are other costs for doing that psychically, right? Like, okay, what's your family do with you? So if you're already feeling like you might not fit in where you are, are you going to run the risk of losing what you know you have? I mean, these are for everybody. These are big things. Like when someone says, well, I want this, I want to be successful and it would look like this. There's that subconscious that's going, really? Are you willing to put this at risk to have this? And then you overlay other lived experiences on that, right? And it's different. Like you said, it's you're not it's just not all black women. All black women have individual lives. Right. And so it's all different. Right. But it really is that unpacking of the lies within a story that collectively weigh on us. And. Um, exactly. And then I think people just in general, you know, I'm thinking, OK, I remember going. And so this is out of context, but it kind of made me feel mm -hmm. a similar way. I don't I was I can speak a little Spanish. 
At this mm-hmm. point, I was in my 20s, and I'm working in a warehouse, and most everybody there, I'm living in San Diego. So the, some people were coming back and forth across the border. They had green cards. But what they like to do on Friday mornings is let's go to the racetrack, right? So one day, they said, you want to come with us? And I'm thinking, well, I don't know. Okay, I'll go, right? Now I'm around. Now I'm in Mexico. I'm at the racetrack, the horse races. And I'm with two of the guys I work with. And all of a sudden, I realize I'm going, this sucks. There are very few women here. There are hardly any white women here. And I understand what's being said. I can't necessarily speak as fast, but I do understand what's being said. And I felt safe because those guys were like my guys. But I also thought, you know what? This is a sucky feeling. I better. So my thing was, I need to speak Spanish better. <laughs> right? Which I exactly. just put them under text is it's you dangerous. You can feel really dangerous. feel that's the essence. And what I think is so important about about the conversation being black women and it being about the human experience is because what you just contextualized is the human experience of feeling endangered right. around. I feel like at any moment, it, Things but I also sideways. feel like maybe I have to talk to myself like these are actually humans, but they're not. I mean, they, they are, but they're saying things you can hear, you understand that are putting you at threat or even just feeling like I'm the only woman. You, you have to now see yourself through a different psychological lens than you've ever had to see yourself before. And that is exhausting because the body is feeling the trauma of the danger or the potential latent danger that could be hidden. And so it's exhausting. So that's and why that, when you talked about trauma earlier, my ears perked, perked up because I thought, yeah, what is that? Even if it's not anyway. So that makes exactly, me wonder, how does that exactly. fuel these three things? So it fuels it because the three things are inner dialogue. Well, one, the, the three things are inner dialogue. They are all inner dialogue based, meaning it is the way that someone is relating to themselves. I'm going to put that in context. Imagine that someone, you are brushing your teeth by yourself in your bathroom. It is you and you, and your mind is not on your you know, removal of your plaque from the night before. It is, why did I say that stupid thing? Oh my God, they're, they are judging me. What are they going to say? What's happening? I knew I shouldn't have done that. I'm not enough to even make this happen. I'm not worthy. That's an imposter moment. That's an imposter syndrome. That's mo- perfectionism moment. Maybe distracted around. I always do this. I'm losing. That's, that is a whole hijacked moment, right? That is like a whole moment that's happening. Now, that is in essence, traumatizing the nervous system because oh, your the nervous system all shooting right up right up right and so this a, a person who is doing that and has a habit of doing that is living through that all the time now part of that lived experience might be that i also have a job interview i'm a black woman i'm at the very top of my game i'm the only of the only in all the rooms not only i'm the only woman i'm the only black woman i'm the only woman who's ever sat in the seat no one's ever even like oh, and i'm a black woman before and i'm younger and you know all the things and i have this i have this unconscious yet i'm hearing it alarm in the back of my mind that these people really don't want me these people really don't want me but they do want me they don't want me they do i do i have to represent all black women like what's happening am i 
So there's like an extra layer of conversation that's also happening along with the human re-traumatization that's happening. And so this person is like, really, as they're brushing their teeth, living this inner dialogue, which is, as you're saying, on on a physiological level, their cortisol is spiking. So all those things are happening. They're envisioning, you know, a, um, traumatized type of vision which which they are then also you know and we're checking we can talk about very metaphysical they're also now attracting all of that energy into their into their life and into their experience and and that's a habit and that's a, a way of of seeing themselves in the world it's a belief and so at the core it is who they believe themselves to be and that's why this is so very important because it is is as deep as a core belief that quite frankly also keeps them very protected in a very strange way. But it's also hopeful, right? It's a belief and we're in charge. We are in charge of what we let in our minds. So when you're saying now you've become so familiar with these things, right? That's basically you saying, hello, mind. I'm the boss here. I'm the boss here. Yeah, I'm the boss boss here. I appreciate that you want me to freak out right now, but obviously they want me. It might even feel like a lie when you're telling yourself that, but it wasn't an accident that you were invited to the room. Exactly. 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 Not, I mean, you can say that easy when you're on the other side of fighting that demon. But you when know, you're in the middle of it, it's like, oh my God. The demon is very big. It's false evidence appearing real every time. Fear, fear, fear. And again, just answering the question wholly as as black women, we oftentimes have a contextual framework, a lived experience that's very similar, where culturally speaking, it can be helpful to speak to someone who has had that lived experience, who, you know, understands the nuances, um, and to be able to say, wow, this has been very real for me. Beyond that, I would say it is a human experience, because everything else is very human about it outside of the cultural context. Exactly. Well, and I think if we pick different cultures, there will be nuances of that. It'll be different, right? Whatever the overlay is on that particular culture. I, I, this is a funny story. This was, I was interviewing this gal, and this is a reverse on the U.S., right? It cracked me up. So she grew up in India, and they have family that lives here in the, I want to say the upper eastern seaboard. So they had very successful relatives that live there and they're living in India and her father is a doctor. Anyway, he wants to move the family here. But all the time, she's all the time growing up, we would watch American movies. We thought, okay, that would be so cool. And we want candy. She goes, here's what my parents did. They would say, oh, you know, those Americans, you eat candy, your teeth are going to fall out, right? So she says, so fast forward, we didn't get our candy. We had to eat healthy. So fast forward, they put her in school. So she's been super educated. She's got a really great I think she went in in like second or third grade. Her English was perfect, better than her classmates, right? She was above average in all of her studies. But she, I said, how was that? And she goes, you know what really got me? I kept looking at my classmates' teeth. They were all good. <laughs> but look, right. she had this whole thing, like she would come here. Exactly. It would be different. She was good with that. But she said, I was yes. just so scared that my teeth would start to rot when I got here. Right. Look at the overlay on that, right? So, I mean, like, those stories are just... The stories. And 
it's profoundly exactly the same. You know, how it is the stories that we tell ourselves, the stories that we hold on to. Um, and she literally had to, at some point, reparent herself and say, like, she did. my teeth are going to be just fine if I eat. Because perhaps it could have been at 25, she had a lot of guilt around, you know, the way she ate something or like it turned, it tur- you know, it, yeah. it could have something that she really had to like let go of because it was a learned belief that quite frankly was her parents making up a, a way to give her boundaries. Um, and it became, here's why, you know, it became like a personal identity. Isn't that incredible? It doesn't take much as little kids, right? We, we are good storytellers, you know, absolutely magicians in that way. Absolutely. I love that. I just think what you're saying is so hopeful for all of us because it is, it is doable. It is doable. It is. And I really love the hope line because it is doable and it's, you know, it takes tough inner work. However, it's tough beating yourself up. So you might as well do the tough work of healing and, you know, really beginning to love yourself, like yourself, because it is a very different inner experience when you feel like you you have a different dialogue that says, I am enough to like myself in this moment. Yeah, in you these can hard, laugh sticky you moments. Goes, You're so yeah. weird. You're going, okay, thank you. Thank you. I'm good with me. Yeah. I'm good with me. I'm good with me. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I want to shift gears a little bit here. Yes. Um, but then I'm going to shift after that as well. So I want you to share with us, like say someone wants to work with you or learn more about you. How, what is the entry point for doing that? Absolutely. So there's an entry point currently, and then there's an entry point that um, will be more of an ongoing entry point in the, in the future. The entry point right now is everything is one on my website, which is inspirebrandconsulting.com. And I have a quiz that someone can take that based on, I think it's about 10 questions, about three minutes, gives you just a snapshot on which one of the, which one of those mindsets might be your more predominant, what I call your confidence killer. What is causing you to really hold, what, what might be the cause of you to hold back in terms of those two mindsets? And, you know, it's kind of like a people magazine quiz or just gives you some insight as to what is imposter syndrome, what is perfectionism, what is distractionism, and how might you begin to relate with that. So that's really the entry. And then I have a discovery call that is a free opportunity if someone wants to extend the conversation. That's a complimentary call where we'll dive into really looking at where someone is, where they want to be, and what is that confidence killer that's causing that impasse and talking about how to move past that. So there's the discovery call that's there. So it's all, I would say that's all low barrier. It's like, it's easy. Yes. Take the easy, quiz. all free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Quiz, reach out. Exactly. So I'm saying that for anybody who's going, well, I'll do it later. Now's a really good time to do it later. Yeah. Later never comes. It's always that's later. Right. later. Um, that's right. So I'm, this is the other shift that I want to ask you is, um, I wanted to know if you had a chance to listen to a previous podcast episode and who it was with and what's kind of stuck out to you from that. Yes, absolutely. So I sure did. And um, the person that I heard, it was a divine blessing because I kind of scrolled and picked and it was the topic was ADHD, which is, as you know, near and dear to my heart. And it was um, Dr. Tamara Rozier. And the reason that it's not only so profound because she is so profound and incredibly 
gifted in terms of her understanding and teaching and depth of empathy and compassion for people who have ADHD and neurodivergence. Um, it is because that book, you, uh, Your Brain is Not Broken, literally saved my life. Um, it was in 20 October, fall of uh, 2022, and we had just moved as a family, and uh, which means like every system was hijacked. I also had a little one. It was it was a lot on my plate, more than I realized. And I my life intersected with perhaps I have ADHD, and I did, and I do. And that book was the lead into perhaps this is something that's very real for you. I had done, I, I got, I got tipped to maybe, maybe coaching ADHD and it caused me to do a Google search and her book was what came up. I read the book and it was affirmative and like life changing. So that is my, it was divine that that was the one that I listened to. And what stood out was, um, one, I think, that there for me there's so many wonderful helpers in the world her helping is so wonderfully scientific like through almost therapy through the science of understanding what's happening and it made me also think about what do i distinctly do around you know this idea of distractionism which is really around people helping people to reorient the story that they tell themselves about neurodivergence, about their experience of neurodivergence. And I took away more science from that episode. I took away a f affirmation hope, the same hope, Sarah, that you talked about, that, you know, there's, there's, because also she talked about that she's one of the first books that talk about the emotional impact of a neurodivergence, ADHD. And that's where I was. And that's what resonated so much with me. This, again, this is sort of emotional experience of it, um, which really also means that someone is also believing something about themselves. And so the ability, bringing it again full circle, the hope and the optimism of being able to shift beliefs around what is someone's brilliance, because ADHD you know, the fact that the, the opposite of perfectionism, quite frankly, is the fact that somebody cares so much that they want things to be so, you know, correct and so fulfilled. And it's also what drives someone to like know a lot of information and to like go down incredible portals. Imposter syndrome just means that somebody really cares so deeply about their belonging and that they, they, they probably are able to incorporate other people and be very empathetic and have a whole set. So on the other side of these, what feel like mountainous terrain oftentimes is wisdom. And on the other side of ADHD is like people who are so brilliant. And if they, if and when they can let go of the story that something's wrong with me, I am broken, hence the title of her book, and embrace who they are and their quirks and get coaching and therapy and whatever else is needed as intervention to create the systems that their prefrontal cortex don't make. They live lives that are just above quality. It's like they are the Steve Jobs. They are the unicorns. They are the things. And so they are the light workers, the sensitives, the people who make a difference. So that's what I got out of that episode. It wow. Was <laughs> I'll make sure Tamara hears that. Please. Um, 
So I, I'm going to pause here. We're going to put a pin in this conversation. I don't think it'll be the last time we speak. I hope okay, it is not. I, um, not. I have two questions. One is, is there something you wish I'd asked you that I had not? Um, no, I so enjoyed this conversation, even the part where I got a little looped. And I got, it's interesting. You're not looped. This is what I call external processing. Yeah, it really felt that. It really did. And I keep actually saying that to myself. I was like, I actually was going down such a deep portal of externalization that I kind of had to back myself out. And I did. And that's like, that actually was a word in therapy today. It was externalization. So thank you for labeling that even further for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. So no, I think it's I, this real. is it's what yeah. <laughs> but this you affirmed me when you did thank that. Thank you. Like, oh, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Okay. So then um, my, yeah. my last so, question. Yeah. You were good mm-hmm. on questions. Really good. Request. Really good. Such a good. Uh-huh. Leave um, a word of wisdom or a thought nugget you would like to leave the audience with today. I would like to leave the audience with the idea that, okay, oftentimes we say like, know thyself, but there's always this question of like, well, how, how do I know myself? What does that even mean? So I want to leave a couple of things. One, it is true. Know thyself. The more you know, the more you know about yourself, the more you like about yourself, the more you love about yourself, the more you will love your life, the more you will feel good about who you are. The second piece I want to say about that is that it is possible. That's not just hocus pocus that happens. There's processes that you go through to shed beliefs that keep you wedded to I'm not enough. And there are processes that allow you to adopt beliefs that say, wow, I am enough. I can like myself. I can be less judgmental on myself and other people. Like that's not just la la land. Like there's processes that help to do that and they work. So that's, that's the thing I want to leave is like know yourself and know that it's possible to know yourself and there's helpers to help you do that. And Sarah's one of them. (laughs) I don't think there's anything I can add to that except to say, if you like this episode, please share it. I think this was a rich conversation. You showed up so real. I'm not editing out that stuff anyway, just so you know. I love it. No, it's right. It's good. Oh, come on. It's good. Yeah, you don't have to be perfect. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know? Yes. I love it. Show up and be ourselves. But, um, Really share this with someone else that you think might benefit from hearing from it. Check out the website. We'll have it in the show notes. Take the quiz. Um, and don't accept less for your life than you really want. It, you should have what you want. You can have what you want. And it might be a little uncomfortable getting there, but honestly, it's worth it. You know? So with that, let's wrap this episode. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic business coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. Please remember to rate, leave a five-star review, and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Till next time. 
Keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.